0: Welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Murray Byer. Let's get growing. Our podcast today, I am just thrilled to introduce my guest, Regan Emmons, who is here from Terra Birds, which educates and empowers you through gardening and helps them prepare as stewards of a sustainable future for humanity. So uh, welcome to the show, Regan, and go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you for having me. This yeah. is my first podcast, so very exciting. Um, yeah, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona. I um, have a really awesome job, and I'm very fortunate to um, work with um, a lot of elementary school students, high school students, and I run a 100-member Seedling CSA um from that runs about january through the end of may is when i'm doing that and then the rest of the year i'm doing a lot of programming and planning and so on and so forth
0: okay do you want to tell us about well all right let me just start with i do always like to ask listeners about your very first gardening experience like how old are you who are you with what'd you grow uh did you grow up in flagstaff arizona
1: no, I didn't. I am from East Tennessee, and um, one of my more formative experiences of being in a garden working with a garden is when I was in high school, and I was living with my mother, and we had to move into a very small apartment, and the apartment was on the ground floor, and so my mother, being kind of the tenacious Woman that she is um, talked the landlord into tilling up uh, this little space in the back of her apartment, and she grew mostly tomatoes and peppers. If she grew other things, I don't remember, but I remember that the tomatoes were amazing and they they just had an impact on me. I I just, I I just remembered them for, um, for so long. I I still remember them and they were big and juicy and ripe and amazing. And it was like a revelation to me and my friends and they would, my friends would come over in the summer and we would pick these big tomatoes and make tomato sandwiches basically Mm. and eat them over the leaning over the sink and just, was this beautiful memory that I have of of tomatoes, really, that my mother grew in this tiny, tiny space. Um, and I would not say at that point in time it was mind-blowing that she had grown them there in that tiny space because I thought everyone did that and everyone everywhere did that probably, mm-hmm. But um, but it was later in life that I realized how amazing it was and how productive that little, you know, wasn't even 10 square feet, I don't think, um, space was. And I didn't really help her very much. I was one of those teenagers that just didn't really care about helping my mother with very many things. But I certainly helped myself to those tomatoes.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I didn't like (laughs) to help my mother in the garden either. I know she's still going, how did my daughter end up with a gardening podcast? Of course, my husband's the big gardener (laughs) at our house too. But I definitely love him more than I did my mom. Uh, Okay, so do you want to tell us what organic gardening or earth friendly gardening means to you?
1: Um, I heard the first part of the question. Oh, yeah. Say it again. What does
0: organic gardening or earth friendly gardening mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I believe in in my realm, it really means growing without. Um, adding a lot of things to the plant um, pesticides and chemicals and really trying to work on soil amendments and soil health and to let that dictate the health of the plants. I really, really feel like it has to come from the soil and I've learned that through my work with the garden starts and I, um, you know, using fertilizers sparingly and the fertilizers that you use really need to be well-sourced and to be, you know, coming from natural sources. I really, really dislike synthetic fertilizers Um, and try not to use them at all. Um, And that, to me, organic gardening is kind of like not working, not using those additives and then also just working with the space that you have. Um, I definitely have some permaculture training and so like it's all a part of that organic gardening sensibility.
0: Nice. Okay. So who are, what inspired you to start using organic techniques? Maybe tell us a little bit about your Um, permaculture training.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say uh, back when I was living in Hawaii, and um, I met my husband there. I was working in Hawaii on the island of Maui, Mm -hmm. and I met my husband, and we were getting to know each other, and he um, just really came from a, a place and a family where he really, really cared about what he put into his body, and I... Really came from a place of like I definitely my I definitely grew up caring about what I put in my body, but not um, not really buying, not really worrying or thinking too much about like what was in the food that I was eating. Mm-hmm. I have always eaten whole foods, but you know didn't think too much about well additives and meat or you know, additives and other things. So it really, really stemmed from that. Um, And I just started learning more and more about Mm -hmm. the food system and our industrial food system and how that was a really challenging place to eat anymore. And that if we weren't growing our own food, if we weren't trying to eat more locally, and that that was really detrimental. So it really, really stemmed from that.
0: I like that. So then how did you learn how to grow organically?
1: <laughs> I have read a lot. <laughs> I have, um, I'm still learning. I'm still very much, I consider myself a novice gardener and a novice grower. Um, but I, I have been, um, in my career, I've had a lot of jobs where I've grown things. And in Maui, I grew uh, a lot of native rare hawaiian plants that was my job at the park service and then i've also just been a community gardener which started in maui and i've been a community gardener here in flagstaff and i've learned from other people in the garden a lot um i've had some great mentors along the way and we, I worked kind of one on one with a grower for the garden starts. I was actually doing more of the business management end of things, and uh, but helping with the watering, helping with the growing, and learning a lot from a mentor of mine. And then in my current job, um, I've just picked up a lot from my coworkers, and um, you know, just talking with them and and actually. And just really by doing it more than, probably more than reading about it. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. And I'm so curious to hear about your job at the park service. I think, you know, work is definitely the best place to find your spouse for one thing and then um the park service has this awesome new commercial out it's like my favorite commercial on tv if you can have a favorite commercial but it's just all about go check out your local park um that's really awesome so what did you how did you land a job in hawaii for the park service i'm sure listeners are curious about well
1: that. i um i've always had an interest in plants and i um I had been working in Tennessee and working on a lot of invasive plant issues. And then um, I actually had a boyfriend at the time who was not my husband <laughs> and I went, I was sort of following him. He got a job in Hawaii first and then I really needed to change and I really needed to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a, a family connection with Hawaii where my mother grew up and. Oahu. Um, and I'd always been intrigued by Hawaii, had always wanted to, you know, visit there. I never thought I'd actually live there. But then it just all worked out. And I applied for a job before I moved out there. And I moved out there and I met the guy who would be my future um, boss. Mm-hmm. And we got along really well. And I went out into the field with him on a volunteer basis. And I did a couple of volunteer trips with with the, or with the group that I wound up working with for seven years. Um, and yeah, I just really, I I was really lucky. (laughs) I was really lucky and I just was able to get a job. I also had some undergraduate experience in propagation of plants and I worked on a, um, American chestnut tree project when I was in college and, That helped, too. So I had really good references, and I just tried really hard to get that job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I got it. So, yeah, I just got really lucky, truly.
0: Oh you know, luck is a lot of being in the right place at the right time because you worked hard to get into the right place at the right time. I always say, and a lot of it's about, like you said, you know, using your connections, keeping your network strong, you know, good references from college and just, um, a little bit of tenacity and persistence in there. So congratulations Mm -hmm. and I'm glad it worked out. It's interesting because the girl I just got off the phone, with, was from Hawaii, so she'll be the episode oh, right really? before you. Is um, yeah, a woman chooses, so that's interesting. Okay, tell us about now. One of the reasons I connected with you was because Bill McDorman was my guest one hundred, and he was telling us about your seedling CSA was um, yeah something I wanted to hear about. But then I also want to hear about the school project. So yeah. whichever you want to talk about first.
1: Well, um, I'll talk about the CSA first. Okay, cool. Um, 2016 will be the fifth year that I've managed it. Um, this is an opportunity that kind of fell into my hands. And um, at the time, the Garden Starts, this Garden Starts CSA program, which is what the full name, the Flagstaff Garden Starts CSA, um, was actually started by a business here in Flagstaff called Flagstaff Native Plant Seed. And they just, you know, had uh, really had a heart for the program and wanted it to continue, but they did not want to do it. Um, it's just, it's a lot of work. And then that combined with what they were already doing was just a little too much for them. And so um, they approached a nonprofit called Flag Food Link. And I am still a board member of Flagstaff Food Link. I was not on the board. I was actually on the board at the time, um, as well. And they approached us and they needed a nonprofit partner. And, um, and so that year, Native Plant and Seed, this, um, basically a, a business. And then this nonprofit kind of worked together and to see how it would work out, to see if it would work. And then, um, that year, I was not involved with the CSA. It was just the first year for the food link to be involved with it. And then after that, um, the grower that year didn't want to continue growing. So um, they approached me and said, would you like to run with this? And um, it was slowly moving away from being a part of this business entity and really kind of like, we think Food Link is really going to take this over. And so I said, sure, this sounds amazing. <laughs> and, and Food Foodlink really wanted to bring in the community a lot more. And to have them help with the sewing and to have them really help with the operation. So not only was it a community-supported agriculture in the sense that members were paying up front for something that they got later, but members and volunteers from the community at large were able to participate in it and so before that nobody had ever brought volunteers into this arena so I got to work that year and we had a grower and she was kind of in charge of the green everything happening in the greenhouse and I was in charge of finding volunteers and we also uh the The CSA had always had 60 members or so, and I was also charged with the task of getting 100 members.
0: Wow, that's almost double. And
1: so I said, okay, well, I'll do that too. And so (laughs) that first year was a lot of fun, and we learned a lot. Uh, The woman who was the grower at the time I'm still really good friends with. And we um, made a lot of mistakes, but we also... Um, made a lot of good decisions and that year was a success for that reason and then I've been doing it ever since so that was in 2012 um, and I've, I've been doing it we've we've changed growers around and uh, but I've still been involved with it and it's been one of the just the most amazing experiences I've ever had um, we have volunteers that still come back every year Um, They are often members as well. And, yeah, we involve students from Northern Arizona University. Um, We also involve students through Birds that um, are high school students. We have them getting involved with aspects of the CSA. Like, they were packing up seeds a couple weeks ago. Uh, We also give seeds for direct sowing as part of the CSA share And, yeah, we just, I get to meet all kinds of people and work with all kinds of people, and it's just been really fun. Um, A person I went to graduate school with now owns a compost company here in Flagstaff, and we use some of their compost for our soil Mm -hmm. mix, uh, for our seedling mix. Maybe you can hook me up with
0: um, them, too. I haven't talked to anybody about a compost company. That would be fun.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really great. Um, he was also the um, same person that went to go look at land that was is is right now on for sale uh, in Flagstaff, and it was land that was previously farmed for years. Uh, we actually did have an agricultural economy here in Flagstaff, and it was mostly beans and potatoes. And um, so he went to go look at this land, and he spoke to the widow of this man named Walter Brandeis and Walter um, grew pinto beans and she said, yeah, you know, I have this really old bag of pinto beans and it turned out to be like a, you know, 50 pound bag of pinto beans <laughs> and he started getting them out into the community and I got really excited because I, was, I wanted to grow, a fr- I wanted someone to grow a fresh batch of them so that I could distribute them to the CSA. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, um, you know, Patrick got the word out. I got the word out. And I asked our community and said, if anybody could grow out some seeds, I will pay mark the price for them. I would like to get these out further, but I'd like to give our members fresh seed and not 30-year-old seed. I don't know how old the seeds were, but they were still... You know, they can still germinate and everything, but I wanted to give our members fresh seed. And sure enough, we had um, a backyard grower um, grow out a ton of beans, and he gave me about five pounds, which is more than enough to give our members for 2016. Um, so they're going to have this historical, you know, Walter Brandeis tinto bean um, that does really, really well here in five staff. Because it was grown here for decades, so really exciting side projects have come out of this that have been very fulfilling and really exciting. Um, the program itself is now operates operates under TerraBirds, so it was just a good fit, and FoodLink was kind of changing direction a little bit and um, transferred the program over to TerraBird.
0: So okay, so. When Bill first said this to me, I had no idea what a seedling CSA was or how it ran. So I'm sure listeners probably don't either. And I really still don't know. My, I mean, you know, I'm envisioning like you grow some starts, but he, like tell us like, you know, a little more. Like, how does it work? What do you grow? What do people like? How often do people come pick them yeah. up or do you deliver them or where do they yeah go? i'm
1: sorry i kind um, of skipped over all that talk. no no
0: that's all right <laughs> so, because that um, story was really good too i liked hearing about that especially yeah, seed saving has been like um, a big theme on my show the last few episodes so it ties wh- right in. sorry into what that. was that seed saving has been a big theme on my show the last few episodes so it okay. ties right into that yeah it's perfect
1: yeah um i'll start off by first saying that the the growing season in flagstaff is incredibly short mm-hmm. Uh, we are sitting at 7,000 feet. Oh. Um It gets very cold here. It is not like the rest of Arizona, oh. and um, in some places the growing season is 60 days. Wow! In some neighborhoods, um, it's a very diverse, and it's very diverse in microclimate. So the uh, growing season kind of shifts because we have the mountains here in Flagstaff, and that uh, really. Changes, seasonal um, temperatures, and especially night, nighttime temperatures. Um, not so much moisture levels, but um, so yeah. So there's this need in Flagstaff for people, if they're really they're really interested in growing and having food gardens, um, they need to get vegetable starts from somewhere. And a lot of people do grow their own vegetable starts inside. But a lot of people don't really have the right setup to do that. Um, even in my house, um, it would be, it's a real, like I, I can't start vegetable seedlings here because I just don't have enough south-facing exposure. I don't have enough south-facing windows. Um, and I don't want to buy a light machine and all that stuff. So, um, so the options were before the CSA were you would go to the nursery and you would buy vegetable seedlings um the problem with that is that those vegetable seedlings were grown in california and it's nothing against california but it's not flagstaff and so the varieties aren't always appropriate for flagstaff Mm -hmm. and they're not they're not they weren't grown here they weren't grown at this elevation so you have all of these other micro considerations with a plant and um and to get a plant that's a cold hardy variety um, that might be drought tolerant and all of these other things um, is going to be a lot more successful in your garden and so this idea of a of a CSA for seedlings came up and that was kind of through native plant and seed right and uh, actually Kim cautioned to I think has been doing it for even longer. So, and everybody's friends here in Northern Arizona, we talk to each other, we get ideas from each other. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the need for it. And the way it works is we, we start registering members in January of every year. And then we start growing thousands of seedlings in March. And a share consists of about 120 plants. And wow. everything from kale seedlings to tomatillo seedlings.
0: To what was the last one?
1: Tomatillo seedlings. Oh, okay. We did tomatillos tomatillo. this year for the first year. Um, and so we um, we start distributing the seedlings to our members at the end of April. Um, and because some things you can plant as early as late April that's early for here and then we have our last distribution day is usually right before Memorial Day weekend which is actually a little early for some things but um, people can kind of coddle their seedlings for a little bit before they plant them if they want to they don't have to plant it that weekend yeah and so we will distribute the cold hardy stuff in the end of April and the warm season things, such as tomatoes and peppers, at that last pickup. And our last frost date here is June 10th. Okay. So it's pretty late. And, um, yeah, and it just gives kind of, we like to say it gives Flagstaff Gardens a jump start. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, because if you were to plant a tomato seed on June 10th. Right. Um, you're probably not going to get tomatoes out of it, or at least ripe tomatoes <laughs> out of it, because um, by the time it grows big enough to produce, it's it's starting to get cold already. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's kind of a necessity here in Flagstaff, and that's why the CSA, um, a CSA for seedlings, is really appropriate for a place like Flagstaff, um, because you really got to get the starts from somewhere. So, and what we're offering is a locally grown. Um, Seedlings that's appropriate for this climate. I love Did it. I cover everything?
0: <laughs> I think you did. Uh, okay. Great. Well, you could, I don't, if you don't want to, but how much is a share for 120 plants?
1: Um, it kind of changes every year, but okay. um, it's around $100. Wow.
0: That's a great deal.
1: Another, yeah, it's a really great deal. And another thing that we started doing about three years ago. Is I wanted to um, be able to offer scholarships for people, maybe who were on low incomes or are SNAP recipients, Um, and so I said, "Well, gosh, how can we do this?" Because we did not have any extra money, you know. It like it was really kind of a break-even deal, (laughs) and. so I started talking to other people, and then we decided to just see how it would work, and we we asked people to donate to the scholarship fund when they were signing up to buy their own share. Mm-hmm. And um, put it out there and said, these scholarships are available based upon availability of funds. And every year, we have been able to offer more scholarships, and we raise enough money through our members donating that we're able to offer scholarships. We were able to offer like eight last year. Wow. About the value of that. huge. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it doesn't come out of our, you know, income either. So, which is good because we're breaking even. So, so yeah, it's been, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, it is still a really good deal. We could not get that many seedlings for that much money at the nursery.
0: No, that's what I was thinking is part of the reason probably it's so successful is because that's a great deal because that's like a buck yeah. a plant. It's less than a buck a plant. And, you know, anybody who yeah. buys seedlings knows they're usually more like 2 or $3 a piece. You're like if you can get them on sale, you know, a four-pack for mm-hmm. a couple of bucks at the end of the season when it's too late to plant them anyway. So,
1: awesome. Yeah, but the thing is, is that, you know, you're also, you're also paying for... um there's this cost of uncertainty, like you think you're going to be getting all of these plants and maybe we have a huge die off of something and that has happened before. And like, well, instead of getting three of this kind of plant, you might only get one or you might not get any. Um, that's, you know, that's the, you're sharing in that uncertainty with the CSA. So, um, but that seems to be something that people are willing to, um, you know, support anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm
0: glad you brought that up because nobody has really talked about that part of a CSA. I've had quite a few desks we, you know, where we've said a CSA stands for community supported agriculture, but nobody's really talked about that means that the people who are investing are taking a little bit of the risk away from the farmer mm-hmm. by helping them. But yeah. I, another theme that's definitely been a thread on my show is that everybody talks about you know one challenge or something that didn't go as well as they thought but overwhelmingly there's enough other stuff that did go right that every year you're gonna have something that yeah. fails but overwhelmingly and so um you know it's not like you probably yeah. didn't ever have zero starts for people like there was always something there you just might right. not get the one <laughs> specific you know certain yeah. variety of a tomato or a squash or an eggplant or something that you wanted but you got mm-hmm. something else uh yeah
1: yeah. All right. Yeah, and then some things just don't do that well, you know. Like I decided, right. oh, this, you know, this this past year, I tried to do this like crest, like this mustard crest, mm-hmm. oh. and I thought it looked fun. It was terrible. Like nobody liked it. It didn't grow. It just was like a total failure, you know, and that's like, I didn't even ask about it on our member survey because I was like, oh, (laughs) because I got so many emails about it. It's like, yeah, well, well, I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) So they're also taking part in like this grand experiment, you know, for better, for worse.
0: Do you want to say anything about that, like how you're getting emails? Because that means at least you're getting feedback. And like, how do you read? Like, do you send out a weekly newsletter or something? Or like, how are people reaching out to you?
1: Um. Yeah, we um pretty much do everything by email, and we um I will send out an email um to uh, tell people like how to grow you know oh. all of our starts um and you know cuz some people um find out about our program and maybe they've just moved here mm-hmm. and it always seems like it seems like everywhere else is easier to grow stuff than fly stuff <laughs> so they're used to either a certain level of easy uh, gardening or maybe they've never gardened before at all and they're just like uh, they don't even you know they want to know how to like transplant a seedlings into their garden, you know. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have that basic information, which I'm sure some of our members don't even read because they don't need to, but it's there um, because we kind of always trying to work at that basic level. Because one of the basic ideas behind the, this CSA is to just get people gardening. And so we want to give them as much opportunity for success as possible. So, yeah, so that goes into the weekly, like, you're going to be picking up these plants and this is how to grow them, and this is how to um, transplant them and all of that. And then we always do a member survey in August or September, kind of at the end of the year when they've had a chance to see how things have done. And those are always really interesting to read, too. So, But, I mean, but my members are always... Um, they, they contact me from here to there and they're like my broccoli hasn't done a thing what is wrong um, or oh. whatever if they have a question about something or they just write me to say it's usually really positive like loving the program you know mm-hmm. I, I usually get very few negative comments but mm-hmm. you know some of it's just really good feedback though mm-hmm. yeah like my mustard press is not doing anything it's like yep, yeah, nobody's just <laughs> it's not you so, yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay. Uh, so, then do you want to tell listeners about what Terror Birds is?
1: Sure. And I um, feel a little funny talking about Terror Birds sometimes because I'm the newest um, employee at Terror Birds. Everybody else has been there since the beginning. Oh. oh. Um, which it's it kind of Started slowly in 2010, but became a nonprofit in 2013. And um, John Taylor, the founder and director of Carebirds, saw a need in the schools for um, just all this work that could could and should be done around the schools. And it's a really sustainable idea because anymore, um, schools are so strapped for funds that to go uh, to take all of the fourth grade kids, for example, to a museum could cost several hundred dollars. Um, and those are great experiences and, you know, mm-hmm. and they will probably always be happening and they should be happening, but we can also take these great programs to the schools. And um, and that's kind of where the whole idea came out of is that John saw this need for all this work to be done right there at the school and all these learning experiences that could take place right on the school grounds
2: mm-hmm.
1: um well tell, let's go back they, a little for people that have yeah. no
0: idea what we're talking about what what kind yes. of work experiences <laughs> what kind of programs what kind, yeah. of, what so kind basically of things are we kids will doing? go
1: yeah we will go in. Um, we work with the teachers and the school administrators, and we will work with um, a class to build and design a food garden, for example. Mm-hmm. And we'll work with them maybe an hour a week per class mm-hmm. for a whole year, for a whole oh, academic my goodness. year. Um, sorry, not an hour every week, but we um, because of our season here, it really starts in... September and then we finish up at the beginning of November and then we pick up again in March because mm-hmm. um, it's so wild. cold outside. You don't want to be outside, um, yeah. And then we go until the end of their school year, and we do food gardens with them. We also there's been a huge push in the, in the world <laughs> uh, around pollinator gardens um to support monarch butterflies that are that have been declining and other pollinator species that have been in decline and so we've been working with our the local arboretum here to um, build pollinator gardens to support those pollinators. Do you want to explain to
0: listeners in case they don't know what a pollinator garden
1: is? Yeah so it will have native plants native to the area that are known as pollinator species that provide nectar to pollinators such as monarchs inks, moths, bees, all of those pollinators. Um, and because pollinators have been in decline, it's just all the more important, and it's a great way to teach students about pollinator species and pollination, period. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a great learning tool. And there's just also a lot of funding for it right now. Oh, So that that always kind (laughs) of helps. And then the other thing we do, um, which I am still really learning how to do this, is to work with the local hydrology. And um, if there are um, erosion problems on the school ground, which there usually are. (laughs) Um, And... You know, TerraBirds really works with a lot of permacultural techniques, such as, like, water basins and building swales. And the idea is to just make these landscapes more beautiful, more functional, and low maintenance. Because, again, schools are strapped. They don't have money to spend on great landscaping (laughs) and to maintain great landscaping. So... Um, we work with the kids, and we build swales and all these things, and they get to learn about what a watershed really means, and you know how they how their school fits into a broader watershed, and what water flow across their school grounds really means and looks like, and what when that's not managed well, what can happen, and. So there's just a lot of different angles that we can approach this, these experiences with. Um, and it kind of depends on what is already there. So, because uh, it's not necessarily just growing food, but, you know, it's growing whatever and just working with the land that's already there and taking those opportunities and turning them into teachable moments.
0: I love it. Uh so, how many schools do you visit a week? More than one, or do you just go to like one school that's close by? Or,
1: yeah, no, we um here in Flagstaff we have ten schools that are a part of the Flagstaff Unified School District. Well, we also have a couple of um, charter schools, and we have some Montessori schools. Um, just we have a lot of elementary schools. Mm-hmm. And so we actually work in all 10 of the, of the FUSD schools.
0: Wow. Okay, cool. And
1: we're slowly working towards working in the other charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but our focus has been in the public school system. So, and we work in all 10 of them. Wow. And what grade primarily? We, did
0: you say fourth grade or did you not say? We
1: are really focused on upper elementary. So third through fifth. And fourth grade the educational standards associated with the curriculum in fourth grade mm-hmm. is just really, uh, just really makes sense with a lot of what we do, but we do work with, you know, any grade really, but mm-hmm. fourth is the focus. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and then what was I going to say? Oh, so, you know, the thing I have always wondered about gardens in schools is, you know, the majority of the work needs to be done during the summer when school's not in session how do you deal with that and I think you answered a little bit of that question by saying you know the pollinator gardens which have native plants aren't going to need as much work maybe that's part of it but do you also like and I know some people I've had a few guests on talk about school gardens you know they said they you know grow more like the radishes and the lettuces and the things that come up really early in the spring Um, but Mm -hmm. you know I'm sure you have a can tell us a little more about dealing with that yeah, summer um, period we, when the kids aren't there
1: yep and that's always the question and it's always the concern and rightfully so um okay sorry
0: okay, so <laughs> questions and concerns um, about summer school summertime yeah
1: so we do as terabird staff members we do go out to the schools and do a little bit of maintenance on the food gardens over the summer Um. But the the kids that go to these schools often live really close. Oh. And so we really, really try to encourage the students to come back. Because often the gardens are in a place where they can just go to them. They don't have to go through any. Because they're outside, it doesn't require them usually to go through the school to get to them. So they can go through side gates and stuff like that. And um, it's definitely something that we're working on to try to um, bring that culture of like, yes, there's still things happening over in the summer and you can come by and you can harvest from the garden that you helped to start in, in the spring before you got out of school. And so we really, really encourage kids to come uh, during the summer with their parents Um, and that, I think it's happening more and more, just the more word gets out, the more people know what we're trying to do. Um, and then, yeah, the learning continues over the summer with their parents. Um, and it's really great. Um, and you know, a lot of our schools here in Flagstaff are not necessarily on year round school, but they're only out for eight weeks, um. You know, as opposed to 12 weeks what it used to be when I was little. (laughs) But, you know, so it's a pretty short period of time anymore. And the uh, charter school that I worked with specifically this past spring and this past fall, um, those parents, it's a really tiny school. Mm -hmm. And those parents are just really involved. And so they had a really involved group of people that were coming by over the summer and harvesting and you know, um, that that particular garden was on uh, drip irrigation, too. So the watering wasn't so much of a problem. We also have a tremendous monsoon season here that usually oh. starts in July. Okay. It usually starts on July 4th, actually. <laughs> and so <laughs> that carries gardens through a lot, too. Um, so we really just have to worry about June most of the time. Oh, okay. So... It, it's it's pretty manageable in Flagstaff with the school season um I will say that in southern Arizona it's a totally different story and they they have the the opposite gardening season so it really works it really does work with gardening um oh. excuse me it really does work with the academic year um but yeah I feel like it's pretty easy here too cool
0: okay that's encouraging yeah. all right anything else you want to share anything else you want to talk about that we've missed
1: um yeah one more thing um, we cool. the um the garden starts program has been operating out of a a um a greenhouse that is on the campus of northern Arizona University oh. and we have a really good relationship with the community uh, with the uh, with the community but also with the um the manager and the folks at NAU, but it's always been a tenuous relationship. They can decide that they don't want us in there anymore. And so we've long been thinking about where the next big move for the, this program would be because it it obviously works as a program, um, but it needs a more permanent home. Um, but we only operate for about three months in the greenhouse. So we are, um, my, my, Undertaking for 2016 is exciting. Um, we're going to be trying to do a lot of partnership building and probably do a lot of grant writing at the end of next year to develop out a community greenhouse where we'll be a permanent place for the Garden Starts program, but we'll also be serving a lot of other needs across the community around growing indoors. Um, so it's really exciting. And yeah, we're <laughs> we're really excited. It's going to be a lot of work, but I'm, I'm pretty dedicated to the idea of seeing a community greenhouse in this city.
0: So now how is that going to work? Like it doesn't get too hot? Like you just keep stuff in the greenhouse all summer long? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, we're kind of really open to a lot of possibilities That basically maybe even having a a fall CSA or people coming to grow um, in greenhouses over the rest of the year for, you know, restaurants or to distribute um, subsidized-priced vegetables for low-income individuals. Um, And, yeah, you can grow year-round in greenhouses there's a lot of ventilation needed but mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely possible so tricky but possible
0: okay yeah uh, another one of my guests this morning was talking about growing tomatoes in a greenhouse he really said that that was kind of the way to go and he's in vermont um oh, just uh-huh. uh had kind of an interesting approach to that uh, that way. Do you have a favorite tool that you like to use? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what would your tool of choice be that you couldn't live without?
1: Uh, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's kind of like a pitchfork, but it's broader and the tines are really long and it's for um, uh, aerating the soil without tilling it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's called a bread um, fork.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just don't know the names of things, but yeah, um, that's what I would take. <laughs> yeah. And how
0: about, do you have a favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden?
1: You know, I, um, I do things pretty simply. I, I love to cook, um, but I haven't spent a lot of time towards gourmet cooking, and I would just say, a good tomato on a caprese, for a caprese salad, is one of my favorites even in the world. Um, yeah, so perfect. just tomatoes, salt, olive oil, and basil, and mozzarella cheese. And a lot of restaurants add balsamic vinegar, which I totally disagree with. So anyway, okay, <laughs> that's my favorite thing in the world to eat. Yeah.
0: Uh how about a favorite internet source? Anywhere in the internet you like to go?
1: Yes. Um I probably spend just too much time looking at catalogs online to really answer that well. <laughs> That's I feel like I'm always looking at seeds. Um and I love like yeah, I'm not really I I have looked for a lot of gardening blogs or whatever and i've never really found one that i'm super excited about but that's I really okay like a lot of listeners have seeds. said
0: <laughs> the seed catalogs so oh um, really it does surprise tricky? me yeah. yeah and like uh well johnny's comes up consistently but there's also i think a piece i think it's called peaceful valley organic i subscribe to their newsletter so like now their youtube or their youtube mm-hmm. channel and now their thing comes up but they have uh a super wealth of resource of video. So I think uh, I don't think yeah. you're alone there. How about a book? Yeah. So reading a book or is that it? Just the catalogs?
1: Yeah. Um I really like Michael Pollan's book, Second Nature.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: Yeah, it's just beautiful. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Uh... And then just, I guess I could have asked you about like any business advice or nonprofit advice for somebody who wanted to get started either, you know, building a CSA or putting gardens in the schools or anything like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, um, in terms of CSAs, I, I think that they're a really great model and I think they can be done really well. Um, this, Specific CSA, seedling CSA works for places like Flagstaff and I don't think it's appropriate for everywhere mm-hmm. um, but I do think um, nonprofits are a great place to house educational programs and teaching people and te- people learning, having the opportunity to learn about how to grow um, their own seedlings and how to do their own gardening are just great and can really only be effective at the local level like just you know there's not some like national organization that's going to provide a lot of support for on the ground grassroots work being done in that area and i think it's up to communities and citizens to really spearhead that Mm -hmm. and i think it's very important work um and then in terms of uh Sorry, now I can't remember the rest of your question. Um, Just about, like, how to get
0: started. I think those are both great answers. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, like, understanding the need first and creating your solution around that. Because some people get a lot of exciting ideas, and they might not be the most appropriate for a certain community. But they're very excited about the idea, and I think... Starting with the problem statement is always a good
0: way to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome advice. That's perfect. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's good to figure out what's the problem that needs a solution instead of saying, oh, I have this, you know, without like testing your idea and mm-hmm. getting feedback and be open to feedback because sometimes, a, a you know, a simple pivot will... You know find that solution so you don't have to give up your idea altogether but just kind of making sure that it's meeting the needs of the community and then like you said yeah every community is different i mean that's part of why in the united states i think they designed it that our local schools would have control which is slowly slipping away but i think Mm -hmm. uh you know it's important that different communities different things and and just like you said different areas different things are going to grow in different areas and and certainly that's a lot of my guests have talked about that so
1: yeah, and I would say one more thing about what TerraBirds brings to the school gardens is that um, we are kind of the, um, the, the continuity piece. So nice. with gardens you have, the school gardens what we've noticed is that there will be a champion parent or a champion teacher. And then teachers move on and parents, kids move on up the grades, and then they go to middle school, and they're not there anymore, and then these gardens are just languishing until the next champion comes along, um, and what is really cool about an entity like Canvas that I feel like is very replicable in every community is just that they're an organization, a locally funded organization that is working in the schools every year providing consistency and building a culture in every and helping to build a culture in every school around taking care of these spaces. And I feel like it's a really good way to do it because it doesn't matter who comes and goes. Everybody gets to experience this space that we've created together and we are providing a lot of the leadership to carry it forward into the years, you know, into like, and bringing a lot of continuity. And school gardens are so tough that way, you know, because just without that permanent kind of like continuity source, it's really hard to keep them going. So I think there's a space in every community for an organization like Birds.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Perfect uh okay ready for my final question sure okay uh if there was one change that you would like to see to create a greener world what would it be for example is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you would like to see put into action like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment either locally nationally or on a global scale
1: Oh boy, that's a big question. Um, there's a lot of things that I think need to happen. Um, I, without being too political, I, I really, um, <laughs> I really wish that we could all work together um, towards solutions for climate change and how that's going to impact what we're able to grow um, in the future. And I see it as a really exciting challenge, um, but unfortunately it's kind of been um, mired down and depleted by by the political system that says that it's either not happening or it's not happening because of humans, um, and I just really hope that we can see it as a, a challenge that we need to take seriously, but we can also bring a lot of creativity to and thinking of new ways to grow things and new ways of being, um, but looking at it from a place of creativity and abundance. And I feel like everybody should be getting on board and we should be um, reaching out to low income communities um, and immigrant communities who have so much knowledge um, to bring to the table.
0: I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I like that. That was excellent. How about an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden?
1: Oh, you know, I was just reading a wonderful quote this morning. Um, It was on my box of tea. Um, (laughs) It says, in as many places as possible, I will get my feet down to the earth. And Henry David Thoreau said that.
0: I like that. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Regan, for coming on the show. Do you want to tell listeners how to connect with you if they have any questions?
1: Sure. They can contact me at grow at org, And we welcome donations. (laughs) Cool. You can edit that out if you want to.
0: (laughs) No, no, for sure. Uh, I would encourage people to donate and, um, and check it out and, and help, uh, cause it's so important. I mean, a few of my other guests that have come on have talked about kids who have no idea that a carrot grows in the ground, The kids are growing up today. Mm-hmm. They don't know where potatoes come from and they don't know, they don't, they, the disconnect is so great that they think all food comes from a grocery store. They have no comprehension whatsoever that food's grown in the ground and we really need to change that and bring it back and so your organization um is really important that it's helping teach kids that and then also you know the whole piece about the monarch butterflies one of my best interviews i thought and a great guest was this guy dave salman who's right near you in new mexico and he oh. talked about the monarch and that was um you know and just how important you know, working with our native species. Another thing I really loved about his interview was he talked about getting into uh, growing organically because he started a nursery and he wanted his... Um, clients to be successful. And he had gone to horticultural school, but when he started working and trying to grow plants for himself at his nursery, that was really the key to helping um, the people, not only the employees that work there, helping them help his customers, but also just making his clients successful was using organic practices. Mm -hmm. And so teaching people, the education piece is just so important in our country. And so the more, I just really appreciate you sharing your passions with us today and your experiences and, and working there. Cause I'm sure it's not the most profitable job that you could have. You seem to have a ton of knowledge. And so <laughs> I'm sure you're doing a lot of it out of your heart and just caring for our planet and caring for the kids. So
1: I yeah, definitely will okay. leave that right in
0: there. Contact. What is it? Grow, grow at terrorbirdscom Yep. Uh, dot org. Dot org. And you can, uh, check out their website at terrabirds.org and see see what's going on there so thanks so much Regan- thank you for listening to the organic gardener podcast i'd like to encourage you to check out our website or organicgardenerpodcast.com. organic gardener that's just organic gardener podcast.com and you'll see the links to everything that we've talked about today in the show notes page and all the other episodes there um you can easily search for people by name you can download our uh ebook on organic gardening basics um and subscribe to our newsletter for updates and um just different things that are going on uh thanks for listening and remember to grow